You are listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode 298, Ending Violence Against Children, with Stella Ayo Odongo. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast here at Vanguard University's Global Center for Women and Justice in Orange County, California. My name is Sandy Morgan, and this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. Stella Ayodongo is the Director for Pathfinding Countries, Global Partnership to End Violence Against Children, hosted by UNICEF. She is a child rights, child protection, social policy expert, and an advocate for social justice. Stella is a motivated leader and development practitioner with over 25 years of progressive experience in strategic leadership, development, management, and program operations. She has extensive knowledge and experience advocating for vulnerable groups such as the children, youth, and the elderly. Stella is a visionary pan-African leader as demonstrated in the founding of national and regional level movements for social justice, such as the African-wide movement for the children, civil society organizations for peace in northern Uganda, and the Uganda Parliamentary Forum for Children, all of which have made significant contributions to voicing issues of the affected. Stella, I'm really excited to meet you, and I want to start by welcoming you to Vanguard University. It's your first visit here, so let's start with the real reason why you're here in my office at the Global Center for Women and Justice here at Vanguard University. Thank you. I happened to be having to travel to them to America on travel duty. And my daughter, Melissa, being in California, I decided to just take a trip to California to surprise her at the Vanguard University. So my, my, in, my mission was basically to come and surprise her. Unfortunately, like I told you, the surprise didn't work out. But it was nice meeting her and meeting with Tivoli. And when I was talking to Tivoli before I came about what I do and the work that I do, she just mentioned that it was important for me to meet Professor Sandra, who is the head of the Global Trafficking, Trafficking Unit in the university. So that is how I find myself coming to meet you right now. It is so wonderful. And I've met your daughter and she is delightful. So I already feel like I know you and I'm thrilled that she's our student. So let's talk about your journey. I often have students ask me what major to get to do the kind of work that you and I do. And so I'd love to hear about your journey. So let's start with university. All right. I went to I went to Macquarie University. I'm sure you heard about Macquarie University, one of the 
the then biggest universities in East Africa. And while at the university, I studied Bachelor of Arts in Social Sciences. And I majored in political science with social administration. And so coming out of university, my first engagement was to, I I applied for a, a research project that was then run by USAID. And the USAID project was looking at the reason why girls drop out of school. And it is from that that I picked interest in the work on vulnerable communities and especially girls, because it was amazing to learn that I think as little as the absence of a sanitary part would actually stop a child from, from continuing with her education. And that was one of the reasons why the girls were dropping out in addition to many others that included violence. So that was where my journey into development practice, that was the entry point in my journey into development practice. I then went into, just after completing university, immediately after that study, I then worked in the the rural community. There was a conflict, an emergency situation in Uganda and in northern part of Uganda, a lot of the issues that that the women were dealing with required them to be supported. So we did work with a company that was a cooperative alliance to to supply farm tools that were giving giving them hose sickles and seeds as a startup kind of like a startup kit for those who are returning back after the war and through that again i interacted with a number of cases where the the women and, and families had been broken apart as a result of the war Many were abducted, girls were abducted and taken and recruited into the army. And then that also deepened my interest in the work with vulnerable communities. Well, that recruiting even little girls into the army, that's human trafficking of children. And is that something, are, are there other forms of human trafficking in Uganda? Yes, that, that was then. The recruitment of children is one of the forms of human trafficking. But there's also been trafficking for sexual purposes. I later on then joined with the a network. It, was, it is called the Uganda Child Rights Angel Network. And the focus of the network is basically on promoting the, the protection and the rights of children in Uganda. But amongst the key things that we were focusing on was ending child prostitution and trafficking because the, the network was hosting the coalition in Uganda. So it was actually looking at that. So some of the issues that we're dealing with was trafficking for sexual purposes, trafficking for, for organ trans, transplant. Those at that time, there, were, there was a lot of trafficking for organ transplant. And even had to deal with a situation of sacrifice. There was also human sacrifice. So there were children were being abducted and then they'll be sacrificed and their organs were taken for beliefs, for belief used in, in, in practices that were considered traditional, harmful traditional practices. So that was some those are some of the aspects that we interacted with. I think harmful traditional practices is a new term for most of my students. Can you give us just like a brief understanding of what that means? Okay, there, there are the African tradition had a number of of cultures and practices that have been have been 
practice over years and I've gone through and been passed on from generation to generation. Some of them include storytelling. Some of them include presiding over traditional marriages. Some of them include riddles. Some of them include inheritance practices. But there were those that were actually, uh, are actually harmful to the, 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 the person, to the human being. And some of the practices that they may have already heard about include female genital mutilation or cutting. It includes the, the human sacrifice, like sacrificing for just it will be murder but but they'll actually call it a sacrifice they'll sacrifice a human being instead of an animal so that was also considered harmful so we we, we were advocating against those harmful cultural practices that would harm the individual wow so that's really helpful when you're looking at how are we going to stop this kind of trafficking and yes when when we here at Vanguard, we really love to focus on education as a part of prevention. And where you are now, you're you're really advocate. I've heard you. I've started counting like seven or eight times. Advocate, advocate comes across. So you speak up for child rights, for child protection, yes. for social yes. policy, and yes. when you talk about your your journey in university and starting in sociology, but that political science piece of this, how has that addressed the way you look at preventing and stopping this child trafficking? Yeah, I think there was a lot of teaching around how to change positions, how to influence. When, when when we were at the university, there was a whole course unit on advocacy and influencing and engaging. And so with that, and that was in political science, and it talked about challenging the, that advocacy is about speaking to power and authority and causing them to change the way they do things because many of those many of the in, in, in injustices happen because of power imbalance and therefore if we are to to change the status quo even when we talk about trafficking a person gets is, is vulnerable because they they do they lack certain certain basic necessities and because they lack those necessities they then find themselves in spaces where they have to make choices that are difficult and if there's somebody who has power which is something like money they can then use that power to then influence them to 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 take them and traffic them so that is basically the terrain of, of social injustice. So with that then, we were taught that for us to be able to change the mindset, we needed to then address the power centers. And addressing the power centers means you had to speak out for the vulnerable. You had to speak to those that, that hold those, those power so those that hold the power, for example, we had to speak to those that were in the case of trafficking. We were talking about looking at the demand side, that it's okay to talk about, to, to address the children or the girls that are being trafficked, but that is already in, in, at, the, at the end tail of it. We need to, ha- to address it before it happens and look at the demand side, talk about Talk to these people who actually demand for the children or demand for the girls to be sent, sold to them. And when you when you address that, then you prevent it. So the ask, the prevention science is basically about addressing 
stopping the issue from happening and rather than waiting for it to happen and, and acting as a response. So that is that that was where we 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 actually felt that there was need to emphasize advocacy. And over the years, it's a lot of the work that my my part a lot of my work has been focusing on advocacy on, on advocacy, causing people to see that we, we can prevent the, the, the harm from happening and do no harm before it happens rather than waiting for the situation to happen and then we intervene. I am very excited about that approach to prevention. We want to intervene before anything bad happens. And back in 2016, they launched the Global Partnership to End Violence Against Children. And you're a leader in this. Can you tell us what Pathfinding Countries is all about? Okay, in 2015, when the UN General Assembly passed the Agenda 2030, one of the key resolutions or the key targets in Agenda 2030 was Target 16.2 that was focusing on ending all forms of violence and exploitation and abuse of children and young people. And with that then, the UN Secretary General then launched the Global Partnership to End Violence Against Children alongside with the, with the, the End Violence Fund that was launched in 2016. And together with that, they were also launched um, a package, a prevention package that was called the Inspire Strategies that was put together to help in the prevention of violence against children in 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 response to 16.2. So that is the whole genesis. So with the the creation of the Global Partnership to End Violence Against Children, one of the key programs that was, one of the key pillars of the Global Partnership to End Violence Against Children was the pathfinding initiative, which was basically a module to mobilize political will to mobilize countries to make political commitments to champion the cause to end violence against children. So countries would then sign up to say we um, as a country would like to champion the cause to end violence against children and we are going to take the following actions to undertake that. So as champions and trailblazers, those countries then became the pathfinding countries. And all that they were they, they will do was to provide the leadership, political leadership, and political commitment, and then galvanize all the other partners. Bring on board those that are working on keeping children safe in school. Bring on board those that are stopping. Bring on those that agenda to stop to to stop slavery and human trafficking. Target eight point seven. Bring on board all that all the other actors that are working on keeping children safe online. So that is that was the whole idea of the pathfinding initiative. To date, we have we have about thirty seven pathfinding countries that have made this commitment and have demonstrated efforts to prevent violence against children. I love this because it is a very substantial model of advocating, speaking to power. It starts at the the country's governing level and gains their support as you launch initiatives in that country for children and young people. I love the fact that 
the title of the strategy spells the word inspire. It's like it breathes a life into the vision of ending violence against children. So I think we have enough time to cover those seven strategies. What is the first one? Okay, the first strategy and the word inspire is implementation of laws, implementation and enforcement of laws. And under that is basically acknowledging the fact that for all that we do, the normative framework, the laws are very, very, very important in curbing, in this case, violence against children. So having in place strong laws and beyond having the laws in place, ensuring that these laws are implemented. That is why enforcement is critical, uh, is is a critical component of that is really key in in the Inspire Strategy. So in the work that we do, as we advocate and as countries champion the cause to end violence against children, as they they trailblaze as one of the things that we encourage and we push for countries to adopt is to ensure that the policies and legislation actually have provisions that protect children from violence and that prevent violence from happening. And even when the, when violence happens, there is remedy. They can, they can have recourse to have these laws enforced. The second letter, which is N, is norms and values. And we Earlier on in the, in, in the beginning of the conversation, we talked about harmful norms, harmful practices. So there are values and norms that, that, that are harmful and that need to be addressed, especially that, that I would say that or, or encourage the practice of violence or the, the, the meeting of violence against children. I'll take an example. Corporal punishment, for example, many of us grew up in the era. I think you and I grew mm-hmm. up in the era where there was a belief that that spanking was was the only way that a child would understand, and it became it became normalized. So they normalized corporal punishment. So some of these norms that have been normalized and the values that have been normalized need to now be be, be, be addressed when we look at the issue of violence against children. We need to accept that some of these. Are need to, to talk to the communities, to practitioners and tell them it's not acceptable. And so the norm, the M stands for norms and values. And the S stands for safe environment. And the safe environment, we're looking at the schools, we're looking at the community, we're looking at that that if we are to address the issue of violence against children, we need to look at this, uh, make sure that whatever spaces they are in, they, they feel safe. They feel safe in the school. They feel safe in the places of worship that they go to. They feel mm. safe in, in the community. Even when they walk around, they, sh- they should feel safe. So that is the other, that addresses it, the school, the community, and the other places that children interact with. Then the fourth one is parenting, parent and caregiver support. Over the years, we have we, we, we have preaching the the word around that parenting is actually the the vaccine to ending violence against children because if you have to get it right you need to get it with the parents because the parent is the first educator the parent is the first person that teaches the child and with the parent with parenting and caregiver support we can actually stop or prevent violence against children once we have parents having the right the right information the right attitude, the right knowledge, and also teaching them about positive parenting. So all, all that goes into prevention, positive, positive parenting, positive display, all those happen under the parenting norm. 
I want to I want to dig a little bit more into that because I've been traveling. I've been working with tribal nations in Arizona. I've been talking to people in different countries, and this particular issue keeps coming up. Parenting, and one of the things that challenged me is we expect parents to just naturally know how to raise a healthy, resilient child. But if they were raised in a situation with alcohol and drugs, with violence, then they didn't learn that. So how in this particular part of the INSPIRE model are you actually supporting parent and caregiver resilience? How how do you change something that and give parents those skills that they didn't experience themselves. I think therein lies the the the, the trick in because like, like you rightly put it, many of us, many families, many, many young people have grown up in violent families, they've grown up without parents. And so they only know what they have experienced. And so what the parenting and caregiver support does is that it now brings the, the what has worked the best, I would, I would call promising practices in parenting. It brings to the fore what, what, what good parenting practices look like. Those that have lived in quote-unquote normal family settings so that these others can learn from. So it's basically documenting. There are some of, some of there are modules that have been documented within the Inspire strategies that I have been tested and tried, and those modules are actually what we now use to promote the Inspire strategy. So these modules are the ones that we share with the community, we share with the countries, and these countries then adopt them and adapt them to their context and apply those. So it's basically picking what has worked, what is good, and then sharing it and, and training and, and, and building the capacity and capacitating those that have experience different forms of parenting to begin to unlearn and also relearn new practices. I like that. Unlearn and relearn. And we're going to put links to these resources in our show notes in case you're like listening to this and thinking, I want that because I'm listening to it and I want it. Okay. What's next in Inspire? Maybe if I I go to the next, there is also... In relation to promoting good parenting practices, there is a global initiative to support parents that we started. Five partner organizations came together and the initiative is basically to promote positive parenting across the world. So it is, it's being managed or the coalition that came together is End Violence, Parenting for Lifelong Health, ECDAN, which is Early Childhood Education Network. We have UNICEF and WHO all came together to form this parenting global initiative to support parents. And this global initiative to to support parents actually then is now the umbrella body that is now promoting implementation of different parenting programs, but also taking on the P that is in Inspire strategies. I love Um, it. The next next one is income and economic strengthening. This is also in the realization that some of the the reasons that make communities or make girls or 
vulnerable, especially to to and and, and to situations like we talked about earlier of trafficking, is because of the of, of poverty. So poverty is a, is an underlying cause of everything that happens. So for us to be able to prevent violence against children, to prevent trafficking, for example, we need to ensure that communities have a source of livelihood have income and the, and have and have means to and are empowered economically to be able to fend for themselves so that they they are no, they are no longer being lured into trafficking as a way of economic gain because that is usually the the, the front runner for most who are, who are who, those who come to to take people into trafficking use money they thrive or they they ride on the on the lack of of, of 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 the vulnerable girls and that that's how they end up being trafficked. So income and economic support, income and economic strengthening is very, very key in, in that in that respect. Then the other the R is response and support response and support services. While we are looking at parenting and we are looking at prevention we also acknowledge, sorry, it's not parenting, it's prevention. We, we also acknowledge that sometimes before prevention happens, as we even preach the prevention science, some harm, some children have found themselves trafficked or find themselves violated. So with that, then response services become critical, response and support services, where the children are already experiencing violence where the children are already have already been trafficked the, the response services help so national child helplines is one thing that we've talked about a lot and i'm happy to mention that as part of my journey in the work to protect children from abuse one of the things that i did was to to champion the establishment of a national child helpline a toll free helpline which was the first of this kind that was wow. established in uganda and it is now amongst the the 93 child helplines globally that is now is receiving calls when we when just to give a bit of background to how i promoted the establishment of that helpline was that i was in the office the one going along my my normal duties and then a lady walks in to because she saw the word child on the on the signpost and then when she showed, saw the word child she said i need help my child has been abused and then the child then coughs once and there's a pool of blood in my office and so to me it came it just showed me that if this woman had where to report maybe that if there there was an immediate response she wouldn't have moved so many places to try and find this so then i reached out to the telecom companies i told them about the need to provide a confidential reporting mechanism for girls, for children, for women, where they can call where there's abuse or there's a risk of abuse. And as that, the Uganda Child Helpline was then birthed. And to date, we started in, we're receiving 70 calls. To date, the Child Helpline receives 1,500 calls a day. And wow. all of those calls, about 90% would require immediate action. And through that, they've also been able to to mitigate trafficking. They've been able to stop child marriage. And this child helpline is now transitioned from an NGO 
on the first managed facility now a government owned and government managed facility so that is a response that's oh, an example that's, of the response that's service. awesome congratulations yeah. okay the Thank last you. one the last one is then education and life skills and 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 this is this is really really critical because this helps especially build a capacity the children building the agency of children raising awareness on on the issue is very very critical is a is a very very good strategy for prevention because when you actually raise awareness and make make known the issue around violence against children then we can then a lot people are inclined or people are drawn up and encouraged to prevent it if you talk about what harm it does giving the numbers, giving the figures, it actually does prevent it in some ways from happening. Yeah. So those are, those are the, that's the inspired strategies. I love all of these. We're going to have really good show notes on this for our listeners in case this is your first introduction to this. As we wrap up our time here, Stella, you are such an amazing leader and you have spoken up. You've been an advocate across your entire region. What do you want people to do? What do you want people to understand how they can use their voice like you do? I I pick my I'll pick my my response from a quote or a message that I that I got in, along the work as, as I was doing my work. And 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 it's a quote, it's my quote, but it was it, it emerged as a result of somebody threatening to say, okay, they came up to me and said, you're saying so much and it's not good for you to say all the things that you're saying. And so I told the person that it, I know it's risky to speak, but it is more risky to keep quiet. And for me, the message out there is that where, wherever, you, wherever you're placed, wherever God puts you, you're there for a reason. You're there to help. You're there to speak out, especially for those who are not able to speak out for themselves. When the situation is dire, for those that are experiencing trafficking, many a time they do not even know they do not even have anybody to speak out for them. So whatever God has placed you, use that space to, to amplify the voice of the voiceless. Because the very many, the, the majority suffer in silence. And my message is we should be the voice to the silent majority. Because they are silent not because they want to be silent, but they're silent because they do not have the opportunities and the platforms and the spaces that we have or that we are blessed with to be able to speak out. And many a time we, 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 we see things and we, 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 we push it aside and say, that's a bystander. I, like I know that there, there are different people from different religious backgrounds that are listening to this, but I like to use the story of the Good Samaritan. And, and many a time that story stands out because there's Good Samaritan stood stood out because he took action. So for us who are in these places, it's not just to listen, but to act. And because we are in those positions, we cannot act when we do not know. So get the information, get to know what people have, what experience people have, and work with the people so that you can take action. My other one is that where they are able to speak, 
I think we need to then hold their hands and give them spaces to speak. Because from my experience, I've seen that building the agency of the vulnerable is the most powerful tool for advocacy, that we can do all the speaking that we want to do, but for as long as we we for as long as we do not bring the, the affected with us, we are we, we, we are doing them injustice. And many a time their voices actually are more they they they, they, they more they have more impact than 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 you speaking. I'll just give a quick quick example about um 2016, when we were starting the, the campaign for Uganda to become a pathfinding country, it was difficult to reach the politicians. So we did organize an interactive session where we brought members of parliament together with children to have a roundtable and talk about their experiences. And so during that session, we actually brought lived, we brought children to share their lived experiences. So we brought, I remember there was a 10 year old who was abused abused multiple times and then she ended up pregnant and she had a baby. Then we had a girl, a little girl of 13 years old who had to have her uterus removed because she was sexually violated. And then we had a lot of these lived experiences. And we also had one of, of human sacrifice, of child sacrifice where the child was picked and um, and it was just a neighbor who saved the child as they were trying to cut the child's neck and take and draw blood and then the neighbor came in and this child now lives with disability because of that act so we brought those experiences to life and the voices spoke the children with disability who are being violated the children who are being trafficked, those who are being returned from, from those who, who lost organs as a result of trafficking. Uh, I mean, there are those who even lost lives, the parents who testified. That was powerful. So building the agency of the vulnerable is very, very important. Bringing them and creating space for them to speak is very vulnerable. It's, very, not very, it's very, very valuable. We need to create the spaces and bring them to speak. Stella Ayodongo, you are a blessing and we want to be partners with you. We are so grateful that you are now part of our Vanguard community and we look forward to our next conversation. Thank you. Thank you. We're inviting you now to take the next step to go over to endinghumantrafficking.org. That's where you can find resources we've mentioned in this conversation and so much more. The Anti-Human Trafficking Certificate Program here is available as a tuition-based undergrad elective or as a professional development certificate. I'm inviting you to do that. And if you haven't visited that site before, it's also an opportunity for you to become a subscriber. And if you want to go just a step further, you can consider becoming a Patreon subscriber and support the production of the Ending Human Trafficking podcast. I'll be back in two weeks for our next conversation.